listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Thank you for listening to the ministry of Let the Bible Speak. Today we continue in our studies in the book of Ezra, looking at the chapter 4. We saw last time the chapter begins with opposition in the time of Zerubbabel. Adversaries arose who objected to the building of the temple. What follows in Ezra chapter 4 is a parenthetical section detailing Opposition that occurs in the later reigns of Ahasuerus or Xerxes and Artaxerxes. Again, this opposition takes the form of letters being written to the kings in Persia. Accusations against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem, as it says in verse number 6. Verse 11 describes the copy of the letter that was sent unto Artaxerxes. And in verse 12, the letter says, Be it known unto the king that the Jews which came up from thee to us are coming unto Jerusalem, building the rebellious and bad city, and has set up the walls thereof and joined the foundations. Be it known now unto the king, that if this city be builded and the walls set up again, then will they not pay toll, tribute, and custom, and so thou shalt then damage the revenue of the kings. They encourage the king to then make search in the books of the records, to find evidence of the rebellious nature of the Jewish people. The king's response indicates that he agrees with these accusations and brings a command to stop the work of the rebuilding of the city. As it says in verse number 23, they went up in haste to Jerusalem unto the Jews and made them to cease by force and power. There is much to learn from this section about persecution that can guide and direct and indeed help the Church of Christ in our day. May God bless the word as it is preached to your hearts today. The wise man said, The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9. That principle underscores the benefit of a careful reading of the Old Testament scriptures, that there is no new thing under the sun. I want to highlight that in this passage to show you again that there is no new thing under the sun. You see, we notice here that the kingdom of God will experience opposition in every generation. Verses 6 through 23 of Ezra chapter 4 are generally understood to be a parenthetical section in this account. They are dealing with opposition in a later reign, not during the time of Zerubbabel and the rebuilding of the temple. Now, there are various ways of seeing this. The kings that reigned, again, in Persia, you have Cyrus, Darius, Xerxes, then Artaxerxes. And Xerxes is often given the name Ahasuerus, as in verse number 6. And if that's the case, we see that verse 6 and verse 7 refer to a father and son, Xerxes, Ahasuerus, and Artaxerxes. 
and that they are later, after the building of the temple is completed in Ezra chapter 6. And so likely this opposition is occurring at a later time in Ezra, perhaps the time when Ezra returns to uh, Jerusalem prior to the then coming of Nehemiah, detailed in Nehemiah's portion of scripture. Artaxerxes is the king that Nehemiah comes to and asks to go back to Jerusalem. And so you, you've got to try to piece together your history here. Although again, there are some, and they see it somewhat differently. Of course, the difficulty is you get to verse number 24 and it says, Then ceased the work of the house of God. But it's generally understood that that verse 24 corresponds back to verse number 5 of chapter 4. And so this entire section, verse 6 through 23, is really an inserted section to make a very important point. The question is, why is it here? Well, it's here because the Samaritans of verses 1 through 6 continue and increase in their opposition to the word of God. That not only in one generation do they oppose the word of God, but they do so for several generations through the reign of several kings, kings of Persia. And so truly they were adversaries. Chapter one or chapter four, verse one. Now when the adversaries, now you have this insertion that almost when you look at later time, it proves the accusation against them in the earlier section. They had the appearance of almost being friendly in the early section. Can we come and work with you? But now it's clear they were adversaries and the fact that adversaries is confirmed as their ongoing opposition continues in the reign of future kings. Their later actions prove their earlier actions as being intrinsically evil. It's also worth noting that opposition continues. Not only does Rabbul face opposition, but so will Ezra and so will Nehemiah. And that provides our point. God's work will always be opposed. It is true in our own days. It continues to persist. There may be one victory, but another battle will follow. And you think to yourself in the Lord's work, well, we've got through this one. Surely now we'll have a period of ease. No, there's always struggles in the work of God. Troubles within and without in every generation. And a season of peace is something to be enjoyed, but also it comes with the expectation of trouble that will inevitably follow. Opposition will always be present in the kingdom of God. Another thing that is true regarding this kind of nothing new under the sun concept is that opposition always arises from evil men who gladly do the work of Satan. There are two kingdoms in this world, light and darkness, Christ and Satan, and there is continual conflict. And though Christ has crushed his serpent's head, yet those battles continue until Christ's final return and triumph. And so in those times, there are these ongoing skirmishes and troubles as Satan seeks to damage the work of Christ Jesus. And we see that here in these verses. Verse number six says that the letter they wrote in the reign of Azuerus or Xerxes was a letter that contained an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. Now in that word accusation, there is a word clue to help the student of the word of God. And the word accusation here is related to the Old Testament word for Satan. 
It's used in Zechariah chapter 3. And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of God and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the word resist there and the noun for Satan there are both related to this word accusation in chapter 4 verse 6. And it's a verbal clue again as to the origin of all opposition against the work of God. When you go down to the very core, where does the opposition begin? It begins in the devil's devices. We have a fierce foe. And we must always understand that the devil is out to wreak havoc in the work of God. And that does not stop after the cross. It continues after the cross. If you turn very briefly across to Revelation chapter 12, again you will see the uh, revelation given to John detailing against Satan and his work. And Revelation chapter 12 and the verse number 9 occurs after the Lord has cut up the child to God and to his throne. Verse 5, describing the ascension of the Son of God, Christ Jesus. And following that, verse number 9, in light of Christ's triumph, the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And they heard a loud voice saying, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Again, it's describing the triumph of the Lord. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God night and day. And consistent with the triumph that Christ has over the evil one. Described here though as what? The accuser of the brethren. An accusation was given in Ezra chapter 4. And now we see the Lord described as the accuser of the brethren, which accused them before God night and day. Verse 11, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They loved not their lives unto the death. But what happens? Well, verse 12, Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. Describing the spiritual Israel, the people of God, out of which Christ came as the Messiah, describing that people, and that people are persecuted following again the ascension of Christ Jesus. And so what we see in Ezra chapter 4 is again reinforced in the New Testament scriptures. The devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so Ezra 4 is reminding us again, there is nothing new under the sun. Opposition occurs in every generation and that opposition occurs through the influence and the work of Satan. But there's a third principle that comes from this no new thing. Why is Ezra chapter 4 showing us that there's nothing new under the sun? Well, it is that though Satan's devices vary, he repeats the same tactics. Now, though he has varying means in which he seeks to do harm to the work of God, those means are repeated in every generation. Chapter 4, verse 2. We saw this, let us build with you. Satan often seeks to hinder the work through false cooperation. 
You, you get a, a false cooperation in the work of God and Satan can quickly hinder the work of the true gospel. Chapter 4, verse 4 and following. How does Satan hinder the work of God? By discouraging and deflating the hearts of the Lord's people. Make them discouraged, weaken their hands, and the work of God does not advance as it could. And now, in chapter 4, 6 through 23, we see further examples of some of Satan's classic devices. And it's those devices that I want to consider with you this evening. Nothing new under the sun. We're going to see the same things happening here in Ezra chapter 4 that occur in every generation when God's people face this opposition. The first thing is this. Enemies conspire to oppose the work of God. Enemies, often using civil, secular powers, conspire to oppose the work of God. Note the conspiracy here. Verse 7 through 10 highlights the company of those who are involved in writing this letter. Not the first letter of verse number 6, but the later yet letter in the reign of Artaxerxes. What's happening in his reign? Well, there are those and they come together uh, to have a conspiracy. There are those who are in the side of the sea, the Euphrates River being mentioned there in that sense. And they're coming together to conspire against the Lord's work. Now, those who are authorities in these things, and I, I can barely read the names, let them describe the geography. But there are those who, who describe verse number nine as explaining a region in the Persian Empire that almost encompasses the entire empire. The major central part of the Persian Empire are included in these places. Mentioned in verse number nine, we are seeing widespread unity in a conspiracy against the Lord's work. And of course, that doesn't surprise us. You all know the language of Psalm 2. Turn there briefly. And you'll know what Psalm 2 says regarding the Lord's anointed and regarding opposition against Christ. Now remember, we believe with all of our hearts that the work of Christ does not simply begin in the Gospels. The, the kingdom of Christ is present in the Old Testament and there's opposition in the Old Testament. But of course, Psalm 2 is reckoned to be fulfilled in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4, regarding the opposition of those against the apostles. But what's say, verse 1, Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. There is a gathering together opposing the work of the kingdom of God. And we presume things should be different in our day. We say to ourselves, why? Because we've seen centuries in the Western climate of heavy Christian influence that we presume that we should not see such opposition in our day. We are naive and we're unbiblical in such a thought. They may well espouse the name Christian, but there can still be conspiracies against the Lord's work by those in the highest levels of civil rule coming together. You see it also, not only conspiracy, you see confederacy in this. Again, back in Ezra chapter 4, and remember what we're saying here, we're saying there's nothing new under the sun. This is what the devil does in every generation. And what you see in chapter 4 is a conspiracy 
between false religion and political forces. You remember verse number two? We seek your God as ye do. We do sacrifice unto him. It's the corruption of the, of the Samaritan worship. That the mingling of the nations uh, with the name of Jehovah and they mingle and it becomes corrupt, impure worship. But that very same company in future generations are now rising up and conspiring with civil authorities to oppose the work of God. Now this, again, please understand, I am not making any profoundly political statement. This is a spiritual observation. It's a recognition that Satan will often bring people together of religious and political persuasion against the true biblical religion. As you think it through, religious freedom is treasured. We value our religious liberty. But religious freedom, as it develops, becomes tolerance, which then may well lead to intolerance of those who preach an exclusive gospel. You've got to think this carefully. We gladly delight in religious freedom in this nation. But understand what that means. It is an espousal of a tolerance of religions. Now, I'm not suggesting that was the intent of the founding fathers, but that's how it's understood now. And so you have this tolerance of all religions. So if you stand in the public square and say, there's only one way to God, his name is Jesus, you are now suddenly labelled as being intolerant and opposed to religious freedom. This is a complex situation we find ourselves in. And this generation and the one to come, if we continue to be faithful, we'll find ourselves more and more in opposition to a political institution that seeks to promote tolerance. We delight in liberty but we are not suggesting that all religions are equal. We are not suggesting that all religions can find people peace with God. We are saying there is true and there is false, and we have the truth and the rest is false. And that may well bring us into disrepute with those political authorities around us. It's also worth noting that true religion will call ungodly rulers to account And so if we are genuinely true and biblical in our practice of religion, then we will call the ungodly rulers to account for their actions and for their character. And that will lead to increasing unpopularity. I think of the forefather of Presbyterianism, John Knox, and a famous conversation that John Knox had with Bloody Mary, that evil queen. Mary said this to Knox, you have taught the people to receive another religion than that which their princes allow, but God commands subjects to obey their prince. Therefore, said Mary, you have taught the people to disobey both God and their prince. She took this idea, well, submission to authority is required in the word of God. Knox replied, Madam, as right religion received not its origin nor authority from princes, but from the eternal God alone, so are not subjects bound to frame their religion according to the taste of princes, for oft it is the princes that are most ignorant of God's true religion. A man of God who's prepared to stand in the public place and call out a queen who can take those heads. But recognize that though there may be lip service paid to truth and using even biblical principle, He is prepared to call out falsehood 
for what it is. And if the church does that, they'll become more and more increasingly unpopular by political authorities. Nothing new under the sun, folks. If we're going to be faithful, we cannot love God and mammon. We've got to make a choice. Are we going to serve God? Are we going to serve princes? But understand, the minute we serve God, we will find ourselves facing the opposition of false religion alongside political authorities. There's nothing new under the sun. You want to study this more? You go read the last chapter of Revelation and you see a mingling again of civil authorities and religious practices. Nothing new under the sun. The second thing to note though is opposition maligns and misrepresents the Lord's people. There's this maligning of the Lord's people. Satan is the deceiver. And the opposition driven by him is of his character. There is slander in this. They're rebellious and bad, or the verse 12 actually means evil city. There are these spurious claims if they build, and again, they're talking about the building of the city and the walls here, pre-Nehemiah likely, but still that period, they're going to say they're not going to pay any of their Persian taxes. Again, the reference here, verse 13, toll, tribute, and custom are the three ways in which the Persians would have gathered their income. And so they're simply accusing if they rebuild the city, there'll be no money given at all in taxes and tributes. There's no evidence for that. It's completely spurious. They also suggest that they make a search in the record to prove these things. And if you tell people to look for, they'll find what they're looking for. There's no record here of the testimony of Daniel or Esther or Nehemiah in the courts. All they're looking for is the, the bad stuff. And there were times, yes, when God's people did rebel against those in authority over them in those times of captivity and oppression, in the times of wickedness of Judah. There, there was times. But it's being misused and misrepresented. If you like, they're spinning the facts for their own agenda and to make their own point. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. False accusations mark the devil's opposition against the work of God. It was so for Christ. You can see the words uh, of accusation against Christ in Luke chapter 23. And you'll see that as the Lord suffered, so must we. And at times... Those who will seek to malign the Lord's work will do so through deceit. They will say all manner of evil against you falsely. Look, chapter 23, verse number 2. We find this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ the king. It's a complete and utter lie. It's a misrepresentation of the Lord's ministry. Verse number 5. He stirreth other people teaching throughout all Jury, beginning from Galilee to this place. No, he didn't. There was no stirring the people up to rebellion. Christ, in fact, did the very opposite. My kingdom is not this world. And so these are false claims against the Lord's people. You think of the opposition uh, against Paul in Thessalonica. Here the men that turned the world upside down. They've now come to you as well. And there's false accusations and misrepresentation against the Lord's people. What must we do? We must sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. We must have a good conscience in the presence of evildoers. That whilst they may falsely accuse our good conversation in Christ, it is better to suffer well-doing than for evil-doing. 
Be prepared to be falsely accused. Be prepared to, for people to make up false things about your testimony in your work, in your community, in the public square in the days to come. Now, we may not be facing this right now, but many are. Already in this nation, there are those and they're facing these false accusations. You're guilty of hate speech when you're preaching love of Christ. You're guilty of intolerance when you're loving sinners and exposing them to the gospel. There's all manner of falsehood already being taught against the Lord's people. Not only here, but across the world. They must continue to pray for the persecuted church. There is nothing new under the sun. And thirdly, and very briefly, opposition may succeed for a season, but cannot and will not thwart the Lord's purpose. We see in Ezra chapter 4 that this letter did have a successful outcome. The king buys it hook, line and sinker and takes it on board and then brings his command that the work stop in verse number 23. Now, again, this is a later persecution and what the writer is doing was saying what happens in chapter 4 in the early phase and the work is stopped. Well, it continues again. But you know what? While I said last time that we must not minimize the impact of opposition in and against the Lord's work, we must not minimize that. We must be alert to it, watchful to it, praying against it, praying for God's grace. Don't minimize it. But God's will will be done. Though there may be temporary setbacks and opposition may seem for a season to gain ground against the Lord's work, the gates of hell shall not prevail against Christ's church and none can stay the hand of our God. None, none can have victory over our exalted Christ. The rulers, they may conspire against the Lord's anointed, but our Christ is on the throne and he shall indeed conquer and triumph in his day. And so this opposition has a role, therefore, in God's hand. It tries us, it tests us, it tests our resolve, are we faithful to Christ? It, it tests our reliance upon God in our labors. And so we are here to pray. We're here to pray earnestly for the Lord's work. We're here to cry to God for his blessing upon the mission field and upon the churches. This is the context in which we labor. And may God help us to understand that there's nothing new under the sun. What we see here, we'll see until the day Christ returns. Therefore, be faithful, be diligent, hold fast to the truth of the gospel, no matter the cost. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.